The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi there, welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, I'm your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today in place of my usual super co-host is my favorite special guest co-host, Royce Kristen. Hi. Aw. I love I love I love Sarah. I love you. I think it's nice to be the favorite, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Royce is the author of the book Scripting the Life You Want, Manifest Your Dreams with Just Pen and Paper. And he has a hit TV show by the same name on Sky TV in the UK. Mm-hmm. How have you been, Jim? I've been doing great. How are you? It's great to have you co-hosting again. I know. I feel like it's been a minute. Um, I we've both been so busy with a billion different things. It's I'm doing great. Things are good, and uh, it's nice. It's like the summer. It's actually we can all go out and you know be out in the wilderness. I say go out. I'm talking about like hiking. I know most people think I mean going to a restaurant, but no, I just mean outside. So it's nice to be outside a lot. Well, whatever your creative pleasure is, outside <laughs> or inside, we're, we're hoping, hoping you'll be able to do that. So um, I can't wait to dive into some uh, creativity with uh, Jacob Norby today. He, I Me love too. his book. I love his book, The Creative Cure. I'm curious with you, um, when did you decide that you were going to be a writer? And, and I'm also curious about your writing process a bit. <laughs> um well, I'd like to say that I, I really didn't have a choice because, bef- I, you know, as, as some people know, I was a, I was a child actor and I, I loved acting. I still love acting. And then I became a producer. Um, but through all of that, even in school, I used to win awards for writing. You know, that was that was the thing that I was really, really good at. And I didn't shy away from it. My mom was a poet. Um, my mom had a lot of different things, but she uh, she won a lot of awards for poetry. So I always knew writing in some form was in my blood, if you will. But um, I just, I don't know, I've always considered myself a writer. I, I wrote a few different scripts that got bought um, when I was in my early 20s, uh, you know, directing documentary, a lot of, when you do that, a lot of it is sort of writing, you're not scripting out what people say, but you're, you're writing out the beats in the moment. So I think I've always just sort of, it's been one of those things that I do. Um, when, I, when I made the decision or what made me make the decision to just do this full time was a few things, but mainly it was just, I wanted to help more people and you know I had a lot of clients that were were fantastic but it was becoming you know it was becoming sort of two things were happening at once where I was discovering this 
incredible information and it wasn't applying to all of the clients that I had. And then I couldn't really make room for new clients that may be able to better uh, absorb the new information. And it just sort of came to a head and I decided that it's time to write books. And if I'm being totally frank, that was always in my in my plan was to eventually just become a writer, which I say just, but that was that was the ultimate goal at the end of the day. Did and my do, process is yeah, I was I gonna ask about that process. Yeah, do you have one? <laughs> yeah, I do. And people are gonna not believe me or laugh, but I'll tell you. Um, and I'm so curious. Uh, hopefully we'll get to ask Jacob what it is, but uh, what his is, but um <laughs> Basically, at least for the first and second book, my process has been my husband will wake me up at 1.45 in the morning and I will write till about 6 a.m. and do that for about maybe, if I'm being totally honest, it takes a few months, but we only do that maybe twice a week. So that happens over the course of maybe about 12 to 20 days and then a book is born. Um, so it's just, there's something about being up super early for me personally, where I'm just in that flow state and I, I don't have to worry about getting any notifications or in, and most people know I'm good at keeping my phone off and away, but I think just that, you know, not having that mind pressure of knowing that people are trying to get a hold of me allows me just to write. So it's a weird one, but I basically write in the middle of the night for six straight hours and then I go on with my day. Well, if it works, it works. It does. I mean, so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good, for sure. All right. Do you have a quote for us today? I do. All right. My quote is from a friend of everybody's, well, ours at least, Dr. Tony Camacho. It's from her book, How to Change Your Life with Just One Thought. And it is this. Remember, there is no such thing as out there. You have created it all. Therefore, if you want to improve your life, you must give yourself a reason to change what you believe in the past and replace it with something new that is true for you. Beliefs can be changed in a moment, but it is not enough to want to change, hope, think, or wish a belief away. The key is to feel as the new belief is real. We must believe it at the core of our being, what Neville Goddard calls walking in the state of the wish fulfilled. Oh, I like that. I like that. It's a really good book. Uh, tell me the author again. It's to Dr. Tony Camacho, and it is How to Change Your Life with Just One Thought. She has three really great books, but that's my favorite one. Awesome. Very cool. All right. All right. Ready for yours. Yes. You can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. Oh, I love that. That reminds me of something that Francis Fisher and I talked about on my show, which is people talk about eyes and they're not able to visualize, but what do you use when you're having a dream? It's not your eyes. Absolutely. And that is actually Mark Twain. And I found that in Jacob's book. I have to say, I, I, have ah, to I love that. I, I had a great quote from his book and then I was rustling through the pages and I, I, I lost it. And thankfully, Dr. Tony's was right next to me. But yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. And I'm really excited to talk to talk to him. Me too. Me too. All right. Are you ready to take a running jump into the episode? I am ready. Let's go. Is there going to be like a three, two, one or we just go for it? Just go for it. All right. All right. Let's run it. Hello, my name is Edward Biagioti, and I am the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, right here on Unity Online Radio, and it is a pleasure to be with you today on Big Universe to talk about creativity and you. Creativity is such a wonderful thing, and it's so wonderful because we are always taking part in creativity. Whether we are focused negatively and bringing and attracting more and more things to feel negative about, 
or we are opening our minds with wonder and curiosity to what might be possible for us. Either way, we are co-creating our experience. Eric Butterworth has a book called Celebrate Yourself. I've mentioned it before on this show. I love it. I read it all the time. When I stray from it, I always go back to it and find just what I'm looking for. In, in, in this book, Celebrate Yourself by Eric Butterworth, he has a writing that is called The Universe and You. He says, The whole theory of the universe is directed unerringly to one single individual, namely to you. And that's from Walt Whitman. And he is saying that the universe has meaning only as it helps you to define yourself. And your life has no meaning except as an integral part of the universe. As far as you are concerned, the universe exists as an extension of you, even as your whole body exists as an extension of your little finger. When you move your little finger, your entire body is actually involved. And similarly, the entire universe is involved in what you think, feel, and do. And how is the entire universe involved in everything you think, feel, and do? Well, first of all, I have learned and discovered from great teachers like Eric Butterworth, like Charles Fillmore, like Ernest Holmes, like Abraham Hicks, that our feelings indicate how aligned our thinking and our thoughts are with the truth of our being. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. The Bible also says before you have even asked, God has already answered. So what does that mean? It means we're always creating our reality. The universe, reality, is responding to our desires, to our thoughts. Now, our conscious mind in the moment or our thoughts, our subconscious mind, even with training, can get off of the beam of who we truly are, of what's really going on. We all know times where we go into crazy town and we feel so upset and we're sure that the world is against us and maybe we act out of it. And then as soon as we act, we realize, wow, I was so misguided. I really didn't see what was going on. I thought I knew and I thought I knew exactly what I needed to do, but really I was misguided. And why is that? It's because love is the nature of the universe. When we act from love and joy and inspiration, we are collaborating with the entire universe, with the truth of our being. And when we're in that harmonious flow, that's when we're really in the driver's seat. That's when we can direct our life into greater and greater expressions of who we are, which means greater joy, greater prosperity, greater depth of satisfaction in all of our relationships. And the thing is, we turn it over to God. And what does that mean? This means we don't exactly know how it's going to happen. So we're open with joy and wonder to see to receive the good in all its forms. And oftentimes it's in the most amazing ways, in the least expected ways. Like Jesus born in the manger, the metaphor is that our good often comes in the least expected ways. So open your mind with wonder, joy, and enjoy your creativity. And remember, Daryl and Ed love you. And now it's time for our interview. Jacob Nordby is the author of The Divine Arsonist, A Tale of Awakening, and Blessed Are the Weird, A Manifesto for Creatives. I love that title. His quotes have been shared millions of times around the world. He leads the Creative Unboot Camp course for students around the world and offers transformational group retreats and individual creative guidance sessions. His new book is The Creative Cure, How Finding and Freeing Your Inner Artist Can Heal Your Life, with a foreword by Julia Cameron. Jacob, welcome to Big Universe. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Jim. 
Thanks, guys. It's so great to have you on. Happy you're here. Absolutely. And you have the best titles ever. I feel like every (laughs) everything that you name has magic to it. It's awesome. I love, I love everything that Jim just read off. I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I'm gonna go. Is it an unboot camp? Is that what you said? An unboot what made you call it an unboot camp? I love that. Oh man. Well, part of it was going through, you know, these workout boot camps and then watching the prol- proliferation, say that word 10 times, of, of boot camps. And when, and I just came to realize that uh, to help people engage with their creative nature, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of tender hidden parts in there and you don't need to be beaten or shamed or yelled at. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's very true. And I think boot camp, I know that phrase scares me away from a lot of stuff. So unboot camp definitely pulls me right in. So that's something really fun. Do you do that still? Is that something that, that is ongoing that you that you do? Yeah, um, usually do it about once per year, sometimes twice. I'm getting ready to turn it into a, you know, permanent recorded version, but I will be offering it again this fall. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. So the creative cure, I have to tell you, I bought the, uh, I bought the uh, regular version, the print version, and I liked it so much. I had to have your voice in my head. So I got the audio version. Um, and so I, I think you owe me to some extent. Sure. <laughs> I dare say, God, you bought two of them. Thank you. So as far as the creative cure, what do you mean when you say freeing your inner artist can heal your life? I, I, you see a direct connection between between the two. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting. And it, it, it traces back to the creative unboot camp, Jim, when I started that I offered it as a course for writers and those who want to be and people showed up, lots of people showed up. And what I discovered, though, very quickly, was that in diving in with them, it really wasn't about the creative product, the book, um, the work we ended up doing together was transformational and it surprised me and it turned out that we were actually healing the connection to something deeper which i've come to call the inner creative self and that really again it surprised me i thought i was going to be spending time talking about the mechanics of of writing we did some of that but in the subsequent years i ended up recrafting it to go we need to start with the who in our culture we're so socialized to begin with the with the what the product whether it's a book or a some project um, tv um, or video or whatever it is you know that we're wanting to create we start with the what or a career let's say i want to be successful in my career i want to make a lot of money so we start with that goal and we back it up to okay how do i do that only in the last couple of uh, decades have we begun asking on a broader cultural level what's your why Um, And I feel strongly that we need to back it all the way up to who the creator itself ourselves, you know, and going there often requires untangling limiting limiting beliefs and old traumas and the fear of rejection. And so that's the process of healing. To me, once we start with the who, which is kind of the fountainhead for all of it, and heal that then the then the why begins to show itself and the how and what naturally follow. And so you you start you you came from direct experience with this. You had, I wouldn't call it a crash necessarily, but you had some trauma that happened to you, and um, you found oh, you can your call way. it a crash. <laughs> call it a crash, man. <laughs> but you you learned from personal experience the the rediscovery of this creativity. I wondered if you could yeah. talk through that a little bit because you know a lot of us go through that crash and and want to rise again. I, uh, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your story there? 
Oh, yeah. You know, I woke up at age 34 in the middle of being the CEO of and co-founder of three or four different ventures. And I had a gorgeous office and a great big house. And I was waking up every morning, Jim, at 3 a.m. And I was full of anxiety. Something inside said, you're way off track. And I looked around me and it's like, I've created what is enviable for most people, but I was a mess. And I didn't know what to do about that. I built this identity, you know, this business owner, this uh, entrepreneur, and here's success. Here's this gorgeous office. Here's the staff. Here's everything working the way it's supposed to, except I had this inner voice that said, this isn't what you really dream of. And um, I had this kind of dramatic experience. I thought I was going to a meditation retreat in 2007 uh, here in Idaho, up in the mountains. It turned out to be a young guy came to work for me and said, hey, I'd like to invite you to this meditation retreat. I said, okay, it sounds great. Had never really meditated before. So I thought, you know, it sounds pretty chill. I probably should learn how to relax that way. I get up there and it turned out to be a shamanic initiation. I didn't know what wow. a shaman was. Yeah, Royce. I mean, that's like a light. That's a light thing, right? It's <laughs> quite, oh. quite a left turn there. Your buddy uh, who invited you did not tell you about. But I had no idea. Oh my god! And I had never, you know, been in. I had never tried drugs before. I had never really been out there at all. This turned out to be a DMT um, facilitation. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, like that's not power. light. <laughs> <laughs> the most powerful. honestly though the way you were feeling it was probably the best thing for you oh, i mean I i've never done dmt i have nothing against it i have no <laughs> and we're personal... not necessarily advocating that yeah I, well i know and i Agreed. truly have i have had friends who've had fantastic experiences and i've had friends who've had the opposite but i do know it can be really i mean it can change your life for the better in incredible ways especially if you were having a period like you were having so go on sorry that's just wow that's quite a different thing than a meditation retreat holy yeah i really <laughs> um i really didn't see it coming and uh and to emphasize your point jim people have asked me many times afterwards i was very careful not even talking about it for a really long time they've asked me should i go get you know should i go have a dmt experience and i said you know i wasn't looking for it um it came to you something was going exactly right something was going to happen like i was going to have a car accident i was going to have a heart attack there was going to be some kind of a wake up call for me that just happened to be the case and during that experience i had this clarity a uh, very big like escaping from this construct that i had developed throughout my life and built this identity much of which had been crafted because of survival and adaptive strategies, um, you know, creating out of fear rather than creating out of joy. And so I got to, I got a chance as I was floating back down into my body to see this 34 year old guy who was, you know, really overweight and you could just see anxiety just carved in my face. And I just had this compassion for this form, this guy who was lying on the ground there in the circle of people holding space around and I sort of somersaulted back in my body and I just had tears streaming down my face and pulling up my ears. And there was this sense of, I have experienced some version of the true self and it doesn't fit in the life I've created. So that was this wake up call. In the years since I've talked to near death experience folks and done a lot of research and that's very similar to a near death experience and returning to life then and saying, how can I align my life going forward with a sense of deeper purpose and joy 
and freedom. So those became the big questions. I didn't know how to answer them right away. And then the universe helped you with that uh, pretty quickly, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The financial crash of 2008 came along and, and really took it out of my hands because in the year following that big experience, I struggled like hell to keep it all together. It wasn't like I had this Satori moment and then said, okay, I'm just going to put this all down. Like I really tried to keep it together. And so then, yeah, the, the financial crash came and it really took it out of my hands and I had to go um, say, what's next? What, wh who am I now? And I moved to the Austin, Texas with my then wife and three kids and they were very young. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have a place to live. And it became this tremendous adventure uh, terrifying, uh, sometimes depressing, but uh, an adventure. And that was the time when I returned to my 10-year-old dream of becoming a writer. In fact, I was sitting in this warehouse where I had a part-time job and I was the only person there. So there were these long stretches between orders. And I had brought with me a copy of Julia Cameron's Artist Way. My father had given it to me before I left Boise to move to Austin. And he said, yeah, I think this will help you, son. And he was a stuck creative all of his life. And so I had his copy. And one day I took it into my job with me and I opened it up and started reading and I started doing the morning pages and started doing the adventures that Julia talks about in there. And that, that was what really broke it open for me. I began to then write and I wrote my first book, The Divine Arsonist, mostly in that warehouse. And it's been such a wonderful experience. My father died not long after that. And um, it's been such a wonderful experience to meet Julia, become a friend of hers, and to tell her that I feel like in many ways, I'm returning the gift to my father now, because, you know, this is a way to then share with other people, the joy, um, how to find the courage to realign with the creative inner self. And what an important question that we need to ask from time to time, who am I now, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's creativity right there, because you're, you're creating your next self. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you talk about the fact that everybody is creative, what if you're not, you know, you're not into the traditional arts and, you know, like writing and painting and that sort of thing? What does that mean? Creativity, what does that mean to someone else? Hmm. That's one of my favorite phrases. I'm just not that creative. I hear that all the time. And um, I actually had an experience of that with my brother, Nate, who was one of my partners in these businesses. And he, he carried on one of them, became the CEO. And I was walking through his offices years later. I was writing this next book and he was asking me about the book. And, and then we were walking through his office and there's these teams of developers. And then we walked into his space and he sat down and he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I just love what you do. He said, I'm just not that creative. And then he turned to his three screens and it looked like the matrix, you know, all the code going. And he, and I, I watched his posture change. Like he looked like he was sitting down at a grand piano, you know, he's a composer. And I just, I actually got tears in my eyes. I said, Nate, watching you do your work and the team you've created here, this is like watching me, like me watching Beethoven compose an, a, a symphony or something. And he turned and looked at me and he said, I have never thought of it that way. He's like, this is where I lose myself this work that I do. He said, even later in the years later, he said, Jacob, reframing that understanding that I am a creative person, even though what I do isn't traditionally known as, you know, the arts or, or anything like that. So that's just one example. And I find that mirrored in so many different people out there, Jim, who, who they, 
look on at the artists and the creatives, people showing their work to the world, and they have this wistfulness, and then they they feel like I just need to go back to my, you know, industrial age, post-industrial age life, and work away in my cubicle and hope to find satisfaction in making enough money to pay the bills. Hmm. What do you? What suggestions do you have to? bring us back to that sense of creativity, even if we've dismissed it for a long time, whether it's, you know, traditional arts or, or just that sense of creativity that you're talking about right there. Mm. Yeah, it's hard sometimes, you know, because I think that we all in our society, we have this idea that if I'm successful at whatever it is, um, or if I have something that's valuable to develop it, means that it will eventually make, you know, money, a lot of money or some money. And so what I try to help people do is unhitch this idea that what they, what they do that makes them feel more alive has to eventually become well-known or financially successful to be viewed as a success. And I've watched the relief that people have. One lady said, oh my God, I love that because what I love to do is go out in my backyard and plant these pot you know, these pot gardens, not, not pot the weed, but uh, <laughs> flowers and herbs and things, which is fine in California and other places. But no, she said, I love that. She said, I lose track of time. I feel connected to myself. I feel like I'm playing. And she said, hearing it said that that is a creative expression. She's like that, that puts, gets me off the hook from wishing I had some grand purpose in a, some other way. And she said, I love, that's what makes me feel alive. And she said, I go back to the rest of my life feeling more alive, feeling more present and more connected. And that's a simple example, but I think we can all find those things. Well, you're definitely talking to the right person here. And I feel like I'm, I'm overrolling Roy, Royce here too much because I've got so many questions. No, to... no, your questions are fantastic. A lot of them are the ones that I was going to ask. Um, I, I mean, minor, I, go, go on. It, this is a great, it's a great flow you guys have going. I'm enjoying listening as I'm sure the audience is too. So well, I, I keep wanting to grab the mic and ask you guys questions too. So <laughs> Go that's, for it. that's not allowed. That's not allowed. I allow it. He doesn't. I see. So we, we've just got a moment before we have to go to our break. But uh, meditation and journaling, you'd say, are two two key tools. I wondered, you know, briefly, if you could just tell us a little bit about why those are important for us. Oh, yeah. Well, I find them key and I love them in that order, journaling and meditation I would love it if we could take away the labels because they're so freighted with, you know, am I doing this right for a lot of people or I hate journaling, for example. Um, but I find that each of them helps us listen to ourselves. It helps us listen to voices, to the inner voice. It helps us process emotions and um, questions that we have. Meditation or some kind of mindfulness can help us settle down in the parasympathetic nervous state. We can actually move down out of anxiety and fight and flight into this resourceful, connected, um, joyful place. And to me, that is the seat of creativity as far as where it's rooted in the body and our nervous system. Wow. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. So you talk about joy being really important, finding our way to joy again. What is What does that mean and how do we sort of recapture that sense of joy? Sometimes it's good to find a feeling, um, Jim. I like to ask the question if I'm sitting in a group, you know, a workshop or something, I like to ask the question and pass a stick around the room, talking stick, you know, what did you love? Find a memory, something you love to do as a child. And I watch people's faces change so quickly. A lot of times we end up, you know, in tears um, because it's easy to forget that feeling. Um, so people will tell, you know, I played outside with sticks. I rode a bike. I sang with my grandmother. All these things come out. And, and it's interesting to just access the feeling. I like to differentiate between joy and happiness. I feel like they become conflated for many of us. And my sense is that joy is this deep underground aquifer that if we can become aware of it is present through all of life, even during the hard depressing times or times when we're in confusion, not sure what to do next. Joy can still be there. Happiness to me is more like the geyser. It's, you know, it's, it spurts up when we have a new relationship or a job promotion or something exciting happens. And both are wonderful, but to, to pursue happiness sometimes can feel like such a long dry trek across the desert and not sure if we'll ever find it again. Whereas understanding joy as this sustaining deep thing, um, I feel like can change the understanding of it and lead, it, it leads me back into a connection with it then on a, on a more daily basis, helps me remember. There's this curious, as Richard Bach called it, a, a curious inner uh, learning spiritual creature, I'm messing up his quote, that, that is with us for our entire life. And, and when I began to remember that, it's like, oh, there's this, there's this rowdy, interested part of me that looks at the messes I get myself into in life and says, oh my God, how is he going to make, you know, how is he going to find his way through this maze? How is he going to figure out this puzzle? And it becomes more of a fascination then, you know? I'm familiar with that voice. I think, uh, I think everybody has that voice in some way or another. So how do we block ourselves from being creative? I mean, I know that, you know, I, for me, I, writing has always been something I'm, I'm interested in. When I was younger, I was a, I wrote well in college and that sort of thing, but I just won't let myself be a writer right now. And I'm not mm. sure what that, what that's about. And mm. I know this is, I'm going to lie on the couch and, you know, so it could be a long session, you know, with, <laughs> with do I love my mother and that sort of thing. But um, wh- why do we block ourselves and how do we block ourselves? What are the, you talk about the enemies of creativity mm-hmm. um, as a part of that. What are your thoughts on that as I ramble mm. on? <laughs> well here jim lay down i've got a box of kleenex we'll just <laughs> get this started well i'm just curious uh and i'll, I'll answer that but i want to ask royce royce what are what are some things you're in the middle of creating right now whether it's traditionally creative or not right now i am in pre-production on the second season of my new tv show and i am finishing up the final i hope draft of my second book for simon and schuster you oh, can damn. tell 
you can tell that Royce isn't creative at all. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> oh, and the most fun of all is I am after two full years, I am finally almost done renovating my house by hand, by myself, by choice. Some oh people God. think that sounds like a bad thing, but no, that's so those three, those those are the three big ones. Oh my God. Well, that's impressive. Um, and you know, taking the remodel project as an example. Um you mentioned the first two and those are more, you know, traditionally thought of as, oh, that's creative. I love, and I love all of them, but I love that you selected the remodel as a creative project because it just so is, right? It's so much fun. Yeah. My dad was a master carpenter and um, I don't say that to brag. I say that because it's, yeah. it's funny because he lives right down the street. So I, I, I thought I was going to be relying on him a lot to do this, but my husband and I just two years ago, we, it was actually part research for the second book, uh, believe it or not, was working on environment and how that affects us and what we manifest and bring into our lives. But it became so much more and it was, it's just been this incredible it's been a journey as wild as it sounds. And, it, and, and, you know, having a quarantine and a pandemic could not have happened at a better time, because I think this would have taken me four years if I was allowed out of the house for whatever it was, you know, almost a year there, but I, I, I was really able to focus and it's been a lot of fun. I'm in the last room right now, which is why it's a bit echoey, um, but we're almost done. <laughs> oh, so you're one of those people who helped drive up the price of building materials over the last year. I guess. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> single-handedly probably. right yeah you just made the needle move at home depot or whatever <laughs> well and i'm glad i i'm so glad i asked that um speaking of intuition i'm like i need to ask royce something here so back to your question jim like what blocks us from it and i feel like one of the big things that blocks us from it is this idea of what creativity even is um like it's this creative thing it's over here it's this commodity or this talent or skill set that other people have and I don't in fact in the very back of the book um, I have in the appendix I have a, a self-assessment and this surprises some people but I actually have people walk through the metaphorical house of their lives and assess the areas that feel really good and light um, and look at the areas that feel heavy or maybe just aren't, they haven't looked at for a while. Maybe they're kind of feeling cluttered, you know, um, career and finances, home and family. And I actually deal with um, the environment, uh, Royce. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I love this section. I don't, I actually, to be quite honest, I read the book. I did not read this last part. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now going, oh, crap. Yeah. Well, and, and that's such a key, like, a lot of times when people come to work with me for creative guidance sessions, they get surprised when we go through this assessment. And we oftentimes, in terms of getting unblocked, Jim, oftentimes we find out that the lowest hanging fruit is go clean out the garage. Yeah. Yeah, go. your environment impacts everything. It's, it's astonishing. Crazy. You know? It's so easy, like you said, it is the lowest hanging fruit, but it's right it's there. It's incredible just even watching all of, I call them my test subjects, but just my friends and family that I forced to go through this entire process with me so that I could have lots of examples for the book. But usually, you know, I used to have clients and that was always a big thing. Like you said, it was clutter, 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 and just how they felt in the environment they were in. So socialization, what does socialization do to us that, uh, that blocks us? I'm wondering. Mm. Yeah. Now, now we're going back to the 
you know, the three enemies of creativity, socialization, rejection, and the fear of it, and traumatic experiences. And I see those as almost like conjoined triplets, you know, you can't, you, they're all, they're all connected to each other. But socialization is such an interesting force because it's how we learn how to become human. So we, you know, coming from a feral tabula rasa state, more or less into actual childhood and adulthood. And that's how we learn to speak. We learn to speak and read and write and do all of these things, go to the bathroom, eat. Um, we learn all of that through mimicry. We have to. And that's what's interesting to me, though, is that then we very quickly learn a system of reward and punishment. Um, you behave this way and you get rewarded. You, you know, don't do it that way. And you, you get in some form, you get punished or nudged back. So at some point, the raw creative inner voice begins to get shaped and pruned. And we can wake up then at 35 or 40 or 50 and realize I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, I am completely out of touch with um, my own natural desires, my own needs, uh, what I would love to do. A lot, of, a lot of people come to me in their midlife, as I am, you know, and they just say, I, I really don't know what I would love. If you ask, if, and that's when we get honest, a lot of times we're all little A students, you know, tell me what you dream of, and people will try to do something. And then when they get quiet and honest, um, and don't feel like they're being tested on anything, they go, to be honest, I really don't know yet. I don't know. I've lost touch with it. So that's one example of socialization. Uh, people go into early and middle school or kindergarten, we start learning how to take tests. We start having the, our results um, graded, you know, and we, get, we start hearing no a lot. And so people, the classic idea is that we begin to lose our imagination somewhere in middle school. And I don't believe that at all. I think that what happens is we get taught to use our imagination to paint scenes that are very adult scenes. Here's the likely disappointment. Here's the risk. Here's the downside. Here's where I'll get in trouble. And so we began to use this powerful imagination um, to create what we don't want. And imagination to me is one of the key ingredients to all creativity. And so sometimes I had to do this with myself um, because my inner voice, my, you know, my inner critical voice is as strong as anyone else's. So I would have to sit down and actually tell that part of myself, listen, you're an adult. Thank you for how good you are at protecting me. I'm going to take a recess for five minutes and I'm just going to imagine what I would love. And it was really hard to do that at first, Jim. I bet it was, you know, it's, it's so difficult at times well, we make it difficult to dive in sometimes because we're we're used to blocking it, you know. And I think once we do um, get to that core, like you're talking about, you know, I think it we we open ourselves up. Yeah, it's vulnerable, isn't it? It's, it's I, challenging. Yeah. I had a question. I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place. We are here. totally uh, bouncing all over the place. But uh, there are a million like? questions. Well, I know you were a daffodil picker in, in Washington when you were 12. And I'm curious exactly what goes into that. And then I'll ask my real question because I genuinely want to know what a daffodil picker is. I'm sorry. If you go on his website to everybody out there listening, which is just Jacob Norby, Nordby, Nordby, I got to say it right, Nordby, N-O-R-D-B-Y.com. 
Um, you will see in his fun facts that he was a daffodil picker. And I want to know what the heck is a daffodil picker? <laughs> well, you know what a daffodil is, right? Of course, of course. I mean, I can assume that it's probably pretty on the nose, but I want to so know then, So then you go why. and pick them. <laughs> sure, but why? And for him, you know, I, I just, I, I genuinely have this for two days. I love that. I've never been asked that question on a show. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so it, I moved uh, when I was 12. My mom and dad split. We, we moved. Uh, she and the children, we all moved to Seattle, Washington area. And there, that is one of the daffodil capitals, daffodil and tulip capitals of See, I the didn't nation. even know that was a thing. There's a daffodil capital. There's okay. a capital. There's a whole parade even. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. I thought tulips were like in Amsterdam, but maybe I, I, do, I actually, the more I'm thinking of it, my husband recently showed me a photograph and I think it was Washington State and it was this beautiful like tulip festival thing. So daffodils and tulips. Okay. Got yeah. it. So you, you pick them and they sell them at the stores and Trader Joe's. Wow. And stuff. Yeah. wow. What's the fun. what's the other question, Royce? Come on now. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, I did want to talk about some, there's a couple of things that I love in your book, which is, um, well, I'll start with, with, with what I think is the easier one, but maybe that's, maybe that's untrue, but let's see. So you talk about boredom, not being an enemy or a bad thing. And I, I, I'm in total agreement with you on that. And I think people listening out there, I know one of the things that, I used to deal with a lot was procrastination and boredom being an enemy <clears throat> until I really learned how to develop them into a skill. And I think mm. the take on boredom is the best I've ever read. So can you talk a little bit about how boredom is not necessarily a bad, evil thing to be feared? Mm. Uh, I think the way you talk about it in your book is, is fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I think that any parent of small children one of the most terrifying words that can come out of their children's mouths is I'm bored. It's like, it's oh still terrifying. God. If you say it, to your parents. try it. Yeah, That's no, it's all. terrifying. <laughs> like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with this now? Um, yeah, no, there's a, there's a brainwave state. And now we, now we have more neuro research behind this, that we actually settle into a different, more innovative, more creative space in our brains when we allow ourselves to not fill it up with external stimulus. And so I, that's not how I phrased it in the book, I don't think, but that it, it's now been proven. Cal Newport um, in one of his books, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, oh, it was called Deep Work. Um, oh my God, that was really a, an eye-opening thing for me when he discussed the brainwave states of boredom and how that is the fertile ground for new ideas and how actually doing it on purpose. Um, and it's so hard because we have, we all have these phones and everything around us and the impulse to bounce into the next thing. Let me get, check my Instagram likes. Let me check my email. Let me do all these things. I mean, I have a little hamster wheel that I run on when I'm unconscious of it. That's just, it's, it gets nuts. It's like, I've done this 10 times today already. Nothing is going to change. Um, and so when I become aware of that and say, okay, I need to back, I need to back up. Let me just sit down. And the, the simplest version of this is set a timer for five minutes and sit on your couch. And just watch for the crazy stuff that happens in your brain for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a prelude to meditation. I think it's, it's a great way to kind of, God, I agree. if you're not. Um, and then, you know, intuition, I love the way you talk about strengthening your intuition for people who think that they don't have one, um, <laughs> which is, which is really common. And I understand, you know, a lot of people, because of what you just said, actually, I think at least it's, 
just in my opinion, a lot of people think there's just so much going on, they couldn't possibly have any any sort of intuition, but you talk about sort of intuiting the, the small things. And mm. I love that, you know, I talk about uh, the magic of the mundane in a lot of mm. my work, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand here. So, you know, for anybody out there listening who thinks that they're not intuitive, because, you know, intuition is an important part of creativity, what is it that you say that would be helpful for them uh, mm. that is smaller to develop their intuition? Oh, I love that. It's interesting. If you look at left brain, right brain studies, um, my friend, uh, Chris Niebauer, he wrote a book called No Self, No Problem. He's this neuropsychologist and he's a professor out in the East Coast. I'd love to introduce him to you guys sometime, but we were having this conversation and it's uh, left brain, right brain. He said, our culture is so left brain heavy in the way that we're, we're, we are rewarded for linear goal oriented behavior. He said, the right brain experience is emotional, it notices patterns, it notices connections and feelings and subtle things. And he said, so I got all excited because I'm in the middle of writing this book, you know, and I said, well, Chris, it sounds like what you're saying is that we've been trained in our culture. It's almost like telling a bodybuilder only work the left side of your muscles for 30 years. And then, and then that bodybuilder would wonder why he can barely walk down the road. His, his right side isn't even functional. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these exercises are really, Royce, all it is in my mind is reaccessing native powers that we just haven't been using very much. All of us have them. That's a fantastic way to explain it, by the way. I mean, that, that bodybuilder analogy is amazing. And I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all about story. And you talk about rebuilding your story. Absolutely. There's... I wanted to dive into story. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Jim. No, I mean, facing your story is important. I feel like, you know, we're jumping all over the place because there's so much to talk about. But, you know, facing your story. I don't story... know. It's flowing. It makes sense. People listen. <laughs> you guys know how we are. Whenever yeah. I guest host, I feel like it's just a bunch of, a lot of different topics. But it all makes sense in the end. You have a quote I was going to say, um, just real quick, Jim, and then you can take it. Uh, I think it was said to your friend, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was uh, something about being a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, just. Mm when you're talking about reclaiming story and how his grandmother used to tell him, you know, you're a mile wide and an inch deep as far as substance. Mm -hmm. um, I, go ahead, Jim. I don't know if you wanted to add on to that, but that was just, that really struck me. And I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. I'm sitting here trying to find it, but well, I think well, you, you said it perfectly. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, well, what, good. I, I guess I'm wondering what, what do you mean by story? Are we talking about a life story? Are we talking about the stories you tell yourself? Um, and I'm, I'm always about the tools, you know, I want to, I want to know what are the tools, you know, that I can use. Um, and you do suggest some tools regarding story to kind of reshame your perspective. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. And I'll just say that the, the stories that like, if, if it's a wonderful story, like if it's supporting your life, your creation, you know, the, everything's feeling fine. Though that's not really the story I'm talking about. The stories I'm talking about are the deep root beliefs, the core beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't belong here. I'll be rejected or abandoned. I'm unlovable. Those kinds of stories. And the way that those roots then end up supporting this trunk um, of experiences. And then the, the leaves and branches are the symptoms. And so what I, what I notice, Jim, is a lot of times people will show up to a psychologist or a coach or somebody, and they want to fix a symptom a behavior. They're like, I want to stop overeating or smoking, or I want to help with my OCD or my procrastination or whatever it is. 
And what's interesting is now we know that we can trace those behaviors, the leaves and branches, we can trace those to limiting these deep old limiting stories. And, and those stories are sometimes very hard to find, um, you know, and because they are underground, they are, they are deep and they're hidden and they're in our psyche. They lie below the level of conscious thought most of the time. So it's not as if we're even aware often of these tapes that are running, telling us the story over and over again, you're going to choke here. You're not good enough for this. You don't belong in this group or this achievement. Um, so these old stories can become, you know, the saboteurs of what we would really love to create. And so tracing our way back to those things gently, inviting them into the light so that they can be loved and healed and, and invite them back into our internal family um, in a way. And I, this is all sounding very tidy. Sometimes this process can take a long time and does need professional help. And that's part of the acceptance part of it, um, just accepting where you are and accepting what you've had in your life. And then you talk about curiosity and compassion mm -hmm. towards your story. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a Hafiz bit where he says, this place where you are, God circled on the map for you. And um, that's such an interesting phrase, you know, the way I look at it is, Every, every human being is a creator. Each of us is creating a life. There's this massive network, this matrix of choices, of decisions that have led us to this place where our feet are standing on the ground right now. And if we're willing to be gentle with the former versions of ourselves that made choices that we look at now and say, that was a mistake that led me into pain or loss. If we're willing to be gentle with that and say, at the time, I was doing the best I could given the survival strategies, the adaptive strategies that I developed in early childhood, probably to sort of survive in the world. I, I help people often write a letter to their younger self or have the younger self write a letter back to them, sometimes both as a way to invite more curiosity and compassion that says, listen, you're here, you're alive somehow you made all of these choices and now becoming more conscious of them, you can begin to take the steering wheel back and begin to make different choices, make choices that flow from a more conscious place. And that's when life can become more exciting. And also it can feel like it's, it's more under the operation of the truly conscious, um, healthy adult self, if that makes sense. I love when you talk about um, go small and set the, set the intention to do one thing a day as a practice. What what is that mm. involved? Yeah. Oh, I love micro choices. <laughs> so you've written books, Royce. You're right in the middle of finishing a book. It sounds like uh, that's an amazing accomplishment. By the way, Simon and Schuster. You know, I'm a writer, so kind of like if you know how to use a hammer, everything's a nail. So I'll use a book metaphor. So I'm <laughs> holding a couple a couple of my books in my hands right now. And it's astonishing to me thinking about the process it took to, to write these books, you know, it's astonishing to see them in finished form, but there were times, many times during the process of writing them that I felt completely lost, completely hopeless that it would ever come out um, and, and ever get finished, you know? So a micro choice is to say, you know, for example, I like to affirm when I'm in the middle of a writing project, I'm a writer. 
you know, I now have evidence of that, but I'm still as crazy as any of us is. I'm like, yeah, that, those last three things I did, that, those were just flukes. This one is the impossible one, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I like to affirm to myself, I'm a, I'm a writer. And then a micro choice, a micro behavior, Jim, is um, when I'm in the middle of a, of a draft, I like to set a, I'll write 500 words per day. For writers, that's not very many words, you know? Um, but making that commitment to myself, it, I know that I can, it's like the, you know, it's the old, uh, proverb, the journey of a thousand miles begins with, with one step. For me, the one step is writing the 500 words, um, for someone who is, you know, seeking to lose weight or do something like that. It's like, I can go out and take a two mile walk today. That's a mic or not even a two mile walk, a five block walk, whatever it is, whatever the micro choice is that gets so ridiculously small, um, that, the brain can't find a way to excuse itself out of it. Um, a friend of mine, Jonathan Robinson, who's been on Oprah and he has a bunch of books. And I asked him one day, he spent like seven years as a Buddhist monk. And then he came back to the world and started doing all this writing. And, um, and I said, Jim, you've, you've, or Jonathan, you've written like um, 15 books. This is astonishing. I said, you, you must have such a work ethic. He said, not really. He said, I'm really pretty lazy. He said, I made a promise to myself to write for five minutes each day. He said, now five minutes is such a small amount of time that there is no way I can make an excuse not to do it. Five minutes. Wow. Yeah. He said, there are times when five minutes is a struggle and that's all I can do, but I do it. He's like, I know that I'm tricking myself because most of the time, if I write for five minutes, I'm probably going to write for 30 or 45 minutes or an hour. But he said, the five minutes is the micro decision, the micro promise. That's awesome. That's great advice too. Well, well, Jacob, you know, there are so many things we didn't get to uh, your creative formula, you know, all kinds of great stuff. I wish we had more time. I wanted to talk about sangas, sangas and all that sort of stuff. We're going to have to have you come back. Will you come back with us? I would love to. You guys are so much fun. And people well, need to go buy his book. It's, it's, it's actually one of the best books I've read in years. So I highly recommend it. And his book is The Creative Cure. Make sure you find out more about Jacob Norby at jacobnorby.com. Uh, for more information about Royce Christian, go to roycechristian.com and check out his book, Scripting the Life You Want. I've got some premium video courses and help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on Big Universe. Thank what you. a pleasure. I'm so happy I met both of you. And I'm going to go check out your book, Royce. Definitely. It's a great book. I, I love it. I love it too. But you know, he's my co-host, so I have to say that. <laughs> well, thanks everybody. I'm Jim Lefter. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived, more strength than I've known. I have within me greater talent to express, more courage I can muster, more faith that I can show. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. 
I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.